0: i remember in 98 when jamaica made the world cup in france right right the prime minister was in the qualifying match in the stands and the mic was handed to him and then he just announced to everyone tomorrow's a holiday and we moved on (laughs) in trinidad when i was in trinidad yeah and the guy won the gold medal for the javelin throw in the olympics that year tomorrow was a holiday he got like a plane with his name on it and like a (laughs) like a host by the government all sorts of things like does do those things like do those no. equivalences we get the, the only thing you'll get is
1: the mayor will uh, issue everybody a sick note <laughs> to go to the parade on parade day, that's about it. You don't get anything like that. There's no holidays. There's no nobody gets you know nobody gets a key to the city. Uh, you know I think like Kawhi would probably get like healthcare. <laughs> that's about it. Well, everyone's offering him a place oh to my live. God, they're offering him everything except the key to the city. Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 224 of the Matt Cast. It's the movie-loving podcast of your movie-loving website, thematinee.ca, your home for cinematic passion and perspective. Episode 224 is The Birthday Show. It's an episode where I mark another year of successful survival, and the last year was certainly something to behold. Some things changed, some things stayed the same. Some things got harder, some things got easier. People went, people arrived, and through it all, I am still here and quite grateful. Of course, nobody can celebrate alone, not even me. So for the birthday show this year, I am joined by a dear friend, someone who has been a big piece of this show almost from its inception, who has been a big piece of my life now that he's gone and done something crazy like moving to town. He is the ringmaster at the Unnamed Movie Podcast and is here to celebrate my name day this evening. Please welcome my favorite Jamaican, Andrew Robinson, to the show. How are you, man?
0: Hey, I'm I'm doing all right, man. I'm here drinking this water i mean we, we have alcohol too so <laughs> yeah feel free to help yourself i do notice that i didn't notice this earlier but you've brought down carol with you yeah right? yeah, yeah
1: it's one of my handkerchiefs one one of them i have like six mm-hmm. uh in a set uh you know i just i brought down the cookies and i didn't want a dirty plate so i just grabbed a handkerchief and that actually was the, the top one on the stack
0: <laughs> so it wasn't for me to just make more more jokes more jokes i about- mean I, I
1: consider that a birthday gift to you so happy belated <laughs>
0: Make, make your jokes. Oh, fair.
1: Uh On episode 224, um, we don't discuss a new release on this episode because usually the landscape of cinema around this time is not so great. There are a few options this year, but generally speaking, it's kind of deadly at the end of May. So we turn our attention to an old favorite of mine. Uh, we will be discussing Raging Bull, uh, Martin Scorsese's reading Bull, and turning the record over to play the other side. First, though, we need to learn more about Andrew. This is Know Your Enemy. Get comfy kids! Andrew first appeared on episode 18, 1-8. Eight. We discussed Salt. We learned the first movie he'd seen in the theater was The Nightmare Before Christmas. The last film he'd seen at the time was The Long Goodbye. The worst film he'd ever seen at the time was The Man Who Fell to Earth. The Unseen Classic or Essential was Schindler's List, and the films he wished he made was Reservoir Dogs and Predators. The latter of which, because he figured he
0: could do that better. Can I take the updated Predator movie to like swap in there? Yes,
1: absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, yeah we, we can do this. We can retro. We can, uh, retcon this stuff. Yeah. Then he returned on episode 67. We talked about Premium Rush. The film he digs that most other people do not is Speed Racer. The film everybody else likes that he doesn't is Rear Window. The last film to make him cry was The Fountain. In the movie of his life, he'd be played by Jason Siegel. In the movie he was watching next was The Seventh Seal. Then on episode 79, we discussed the F.P. We learned the film that made his love of Cinema Turn a Corner was The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. His first date movies were Ray and the Heartbreak Kid. His sick day movie is The Blues Brothers. The last film to leave him speechless was Schindler's List. And the film, quote to be his epitaph, would be Next Time, Let's Go Somewhere Like Bolivia from Butch and Sundance. Then, Andrew came back on episode 148. We talked about Beasts of No Nation. We learned the film he likes but never wants to watch again is Happiness. The movie that genuinely freaked him out is Death Proof. The film that always makes him laugh is Blazing Saddles. His favorite movie soundtrack is Quadrophenia. And the film he loves that seemingly nobody else has heard of is Closed Curtain. Andrew returned again for episode 177. We talked about Out of Sight, as I mentioned in the intro. When he goes to the movies, we discovered that he likes to sit middle-middle. Uh, if he could date go on a date with any movie character, he wanted to go out with Anna Morales from A Most Violent Year. That's Jessica Chastain's character in that movie. The dirtiest films he'd ever seen are Irreversible and Ninja Scroll. His favorite black and white movies, plural, are Manhattan, Failsafe, and Witness for the Prosecution. And the movie he likes that nobody would expect him to are movie musicals. So, West Side Story, um, that kind of movie um, extravaganza. Finally, Andrew was here last year on episode 196 to talk about Isle of Dogs. It's taking a while, isn't it? I, you have no idea, dude. <laughs> We learned um, where his movie snack of choice is concerned, he doesn't really snack. He's not a snacker. He gets water at best. Uh, The movie world he would love to spend a day in is Call Me By Your Name or any travel romance movie where people are wandering around and just chilling out. His good scene in a bad movie was the James franco Christoph Waltz introduction in Green Hornet. The most violent movie he has ever seen is Irreversible. And the movie monologue he would most like to deliver is the ending monologue in The World's End. We're free to do what we want any old time. Okay, time, sir, for round seven. Do we time these things? No. (laughs) If you met a person who had never seen a movie
0: before, what would you show them? So, as you've seen, I have like many things going on here in my shortlist. In your tabs. Um, In my tabs. Um, I've crossed out anyone that I've heard you mention in mm. the last 10 multi- minutes that we've done this intro you're, shut up right, so that I won't repeat myself. <laughs> like yeah, I right. did on the yeah. last episode. Yeah. Um, and I thought about this on the way up and I decided on a movie that I hadn't seen up until like three or four years ago, Okay. which just tickled me the right way. Okay. All right. Um, and I'm sure you must have seen this at some point. It is the Stanley Donan classic, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it brings together almost everything I love about movies, right? You have the Ridiculous Musical. You have a Western You also have it ending with what I what I love sometimes watching old movies when you see the genesis of a saying that people say all the while. Right. That being a shotgun wedding. And you hear people say that all the while but you actually get to see what that really means by the end of this movie. And I just think it would be a great introduction for people to see. You could have all these things. I mean... Okay, so first
1: of all, props. Because I've only heard this question posed a few different times. Um, and it was it was taken from a, a round of, of answers from the Road 3 Cinecast. And That is not the kind of answer I would expect. I mean, for starters, I would never expect somebody to mention a musical that is not The Wizard of Oz. Um, Because I feel like that, and especially the classic musicals, are where people kick. You know, I, I feel like that requires a level of disbelief
0: that people just generally don't have well, they've never seen one before they've you never see seen the, a movie before right, there 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 are so many people out there who are so timid about musicals and yeah. all they can tell you is wizard of oz and you're just like well obviously that's the wrong place to start then
1: yeah but i mean if, <laughs> if, if a person had never seen a musical before i wouldn't even start them with seven brides for seven brothers i might probably
0: start them with cabaret
1: <laughs> you know it's it's, it's i feel just...
0: that's a too too arty like you need someone but that's like, why i would <laughs> start them with cabaret
1: you know, because it's too hard. I don't want to go back to like the, the, the Rodgers and Hammerstein, you know, Stanley Donan type. I don't want to drop them into South Pacific, like literally, <laughs> nor do I want to sit them down to watch South Pacific. Just because I feel like it's, it's too much – it's too emblematic of a bygone era. You know, it's, it's a film that is classic, but I don't know if it's timeless. So, I mean, you know, hey, it's it's your <laughs> it's your introduction, so I ain't going to say no.
0: It's in I'm, there forever, as yeah. long as this podcast lives. Clearly. And then I come for like the 12th visit and you take like three hours to... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's,
1: it's, it becomes an act <laughs> onto its own. Um, I can't remember the last time. I, I might not have even actually have seen this movie, to be
0: honest. Are I, you serious? I assumed due to...
1: Yeah, due, due, to, due to my like marital situation.
0: You were... Would have seen it by now. this one on
1: you know julie newmar they
0: have a shotgun wedding i, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I spoiled I, it for you interesting answer uh i, I look, certainly look, not expect it look all right if you've never seen this movie here in lies my i do pitch. like
1: that it's i do like that it's hyper reality right? like i do like the idea that if you're gonna go and sit in front of this art form that you don't want to sit and watch a documentary mm-hmm. or watch something that's You know, that's really gritty and down-to-earth and tangible. Like I I do like the idea that you've got something that's very fantastic. Yeah, ridiculous. Okay. Andrew Robinson, what is the movie that best embodies your personality?
0: So, I had three things airmarked down. One, you've named off in a previous episode. The one I'm going to mention, which I know you've seen, and I'm sure this will garner a good reaction, is the classic R100 (laughs) because (laughs) because what am i if not a person of many ends right where you have a film within a film about an old man just having just not caring about the world and just doing what he wants in a movie please tell people about this movie (laughs) because i feel like
1: it is criminally underseen and and even though i am laughing at at the start uh i feel like there are a lot of people who are going to hear that answer and be like what
0: R one hundred is one of the greatest films ever to come out in cinema. Let's not get carried away ourselves, <laughs> but please continue. It's a Japanese release from, I'm guessing, 2013 or 2014. Can't you really guess. remember the year right now. Um, it is about a gentleman who has a certain kink and decides to go and sign up for a BDSM contract with a company. But this isn't one of those things where like you go and like you go and you have an O and then you come home. You sign a contract for a year. And the women can come and do whatever they want anytime for the year. (laughs) And they they have various methods, right? It's it's not all. And each woman has a different speciality. Like it's it's crazy. That
1: is not the part that you were talking about, though. Like you're you're not talking about this being your personality. Mm -hmm. In that you you know you just sign on to get your jolly spill. No, no. So, tell people the part that does represent So, later
0: on in the movie, you find out that the movie we're watching is actually a film being presented to, like, you're guessing financiers or something? Censors. Right? The it's censors. censors. It's censors. Um, and they're watching this movie that this 100-year-old man has made. And the 100-year-old man, every time someone asks him a question, his answer is you won't get it until you're 100 years old, which is why the movie is called R100, meaning this movie is rated for 100 years yes. and up. Yeah. Um, and it just keeps breaking that wall of the movie, and it is glorious. It just being the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen. The movie that you watch, as well as the old man stuff. <laughs> so
1: your movie. personality is absurd, and you won't get it unless you're me.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh good night everybody thank you for listening um i'm just gonna leave that alone that is perfect no further explanation required you do not need to show your work you pass what is a movie you hated on first watch but eventually came to enjoy
0: so i thought about cheating because i think it was a few years back you had wanted a sabbatical from the website and you had put out a call to some people to write for you to do that very question right and I answered that question then. On do you remember what it was?
1: Nope, I can remember some of the answers, but I can't remember yours.
0: Michael Mann. Oh, Just yeah. in general, I yes. was like the one guy who like wrote about like yes. four different yeah, yeah, things yeah, yeah. in Michael Mann, but that's already written on your site, right. so I'm going to walk past okay. that. I'll, I'll put a I'll put a link for that. Right. Um, and there are two movies I have, and I think. I think I've already gone a little bit too ridiculous in my first two answers, so I'm gonna no. be, <laughs> I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be a little bit more toned down, <laughs> and I'm gonna go for a film that I know is very divisive among people under the skin.
1: Interesting. Okay. <laughs> why?
0: This was a movie I, I can understand why you would hate that because a
1: lot of people hate that movie on first watch. Yeah, it's it's yeah. a
0: rough movie. Yes, <laughs> um, very cold, very. But it's one of these movies that like. For some odd reason, I decided to go back to it, and I saw the humanity in it more than the alien, mm-hmm. as it literally is a movie about an alien just walking around the world and who is doing awful things to people. Yes. Right? Um, and I, I feel like it's, it's, to me, it's David Lynch done right, because fuck david lynch (laughs) oh i'm sorry i'll I'll, I'll allow it (laughs) that's all you get okay Uh, this is this is like the ratings board you get like two yeah yeah. it's my birthday so you know um but yeah like this movie just felt right like i i've seen it probably like four or five times at this point okay and every time i watch it it just feels like this meditation that is soothing to me I,
1: I mean, like, it's interesting that you mentioned a meditation because I feel like we, you know, we, we sign this social contract when we enter into a movie that we're just going to give it our attention. We don't always know what we're getting into. Some people do just reams and reams of homework. Some people just going blind, right? And we don't we, – even if we know what the plot is, we don't know how – we don't know the delivery device. So it might be – Uh, you know, far more aggressive. It might be far more passive than we're ready for. And I mean, that is a movie that I could have written out the plot for you. I probably could have written the plot on a napkin. But you wouldn't understand what you were getting into until you got into it. Even if I had described it exactly as how you just described it, you still would have sat there and been like, what the hell is this? So I, I like the idea of a meditation and of Really giving yourself over to something. And, and I, like, I mean, I, I got to give you props because that's a movie. I know a lot of people who are like never going back to, it, you know, who saw it one time and they're like, uh uh-uh, uh, no, forget it um did you and and okay now the one thing i gotta hang on it is you saw it at a film festival for the first no year. i did no, not did? Okay, i saw it at home day. okay i did i i was here that year okay. but i you didn't, didn't catch it. that okay. one because <laughs> i mean i mean that's that's another piece of it right is i know a lot of people if they see something at a film festival they're in the wrong headspace altogether and maybe they come back around to it later when they're much more uh, uh level and and ready to to, to go but um
0: and i think my passage is well documented because i think my first viewing was a podcast episode okay, so okay. so um, like you could probably go back in the catalog and you can find the under I'll the skin episode too. and you can hear me and damien and douglas like go like oh my god what have we gotten ourselves <laughs> into <laughs> right um, um yeah I, I, that's
1: that, that is that's a really good answer because that's the kind of movie i, I can see a lot i know a lot of people who love it or hate it i i Really liked it, and then I went back to it and went back to it. It's a really visual kind of movie. Like it's, it's almost a silent film. There's really not a whole lot of talking.
0: It takes a long time for you to even understand what the movie's really doing. Oh I yeah, feel. no kidding.
1: <laughs> handsome. Though. Yeah, yeah. Adrian Robinson, what is a remake or adaptation that is better than its source material?
0: This one's hard for me. I feel because I don't. I mean, we we've talked about this. I don't. I'm not a big reader, mm. right? I. I'll see a lot of like original things, like especially foreign stuff that get remade and whatever. But the one thing I'll go to, and this might be my biggest cop out answer, <laughs> is I'm going to talk about Stanley Kubrick and The Shining. Yeah. Right? Okay, okay. <laughs> because okay. Shining might be one of the few books that I've read in my life <laughs> that. I do not get why people lost their mind over, (laughs) but that movie is fantastic and immaculate, right? To the point where, I, I give Kubrick credit for transitions that make ghostly images of people in that movie. Mm. That there are times when you're like writing around movies and writing about movies where you see something that you feel is a wonderful touch in a film and there are times where you say those things out loud and then you question is this just like a random trope that someone used and it just kind of fit into what was in my brain (laughs) (laughs) rather than the person thinking this thing through perfectly right um but somehow i kind of give Kubrick that credit because he seems like that kind of guy right (laughs) and i i adore everything about this movie and even the changes that he made, including Scatman, Scatman Crothers, Crothers yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, character changes that people talk about whenever you talk about the the changes for that movie. I just think it's a great movie in comparison.
1: It's, um, it's been a long time since I read it. Um, and and I, when I say a long time, I mean probably tw- easily 20 years since mm-hmm. I read that book. Um, I do remember enjoying that book. That's one of the Stephen King books that I still do enjoy and one day hope to go back and read. Um, you know, Stephen King himself does not like the adaptation and near as I know has never come around on it. And we got deep into, into the waters of King on the Pet Sematary show because he is a creator who has had a deep hand in the adaptations of a lot of his works and that's not always a great thing. At this point in his career, I don't think he had uh, a really, really uh, sharp and um, ruthless editor. So there were there were things that he was getting away with that probably could have been trimmed back. He wasn't going. He wasn't getting complete carte blanche because he was still kind of new. This was actually only his third book, so he wasn't. You know, it wasn't like it mm-hmm. where he was getting like eleven hundred pages to Babylon about turtles. Um, this was more at the beginning when, you know, he was just kind of getting shaped. Um, and I mean, the cool thing about the shining as an answer to this question is there are camps, right? There's, there's the camp that things that Stephen King's version was the best version and that TV movie version they did with, with, uh, Stephen Weber, that is the only thing we can talk about. And there are people who think that the Kubrick version is the only version and who like mine it for all kinds of hidden cookies and statements and whatever. And it's fascinating to watch those camps argue. Um, so I never saw
0: that documentary, that it, Room it, 236 documentary. I never watched re, it. 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 It's
1: really good. It, it, it's a really good documentary and, and really does kind of make you smile at just how far people think that a, a filmmaker like Kubrick is trying to troll us. Um, I mean, I like that film just because I feel like it's a good entryway for Kubrick. Mm-hmm. Like that is that is one of the easier gates of that man's work to go through. And I like the idea of changing shit. You know, like I've always said, if you're going to transplant a piece of art into another media, play with it, you know, do something a little bit different. Because if I wanted the book, I would have just read the book, you know, adapt. I, you know, even if it's just subtle and you're just, you're taking out subplots or you completely bend it, why not? You know, do something different with it. So, all right. I like this answer very much. Uh, And, and, you know, good work on pulling a book, even though by your own admission, you're not that much of a reader. Uh, Last but not least, if you can bring back any dead artist, any director, actor, writer, choreographer, cinematographer, what have you, film related only, who do you bring back and why?
0: So I was thinking about this. And there's so many people who it's a long list of rips that end up on twitter and everywhere ever as the years go on of names that have given us so much Mm -hmm. and like i think the only one that i've written an little bit for is i wrote for Abbas kurastami someone who you know i've Mm. i've much beloved and enjoyed a lot of his work but at the same time i came around to this answer to this question and i thought to myself He's given me a lot. There's still a lot there that I haven't even seen yet. So yeah. I still have a lot to discover on him. So it feels cheating to call him back from the grave while I've got work to do. Yeah, yeah. Right? Exactly. So I wanted to take up a name that has a lot fewer credits, but probably is as recognizable to the cinephile world as, as a name such as that. And I think the one that I came up with was Satoshi Khan. Right? He's a Japanese filmmaker, worked, pr- worked only in anime. Um, He gave us films such as Paprika, Perfect Blue and Tokyo Godfathers and happened to die, if I'm correct, in his late 30s or like very young. Right. Yeah. Um, And uh, it was a big deal when he passed. Like people were like, oh, my God, like this is the guy that's been doing amazing work in anime. And what else could he have given us? And that's the question I'd like to answer at that point, to be like, I want to see more Satoshi Khan, because he is an animator who does really interesting things with his own medium right. that people don't do in anime. Like, there's a lot of tropes in anime that you get away with somewhere for financial reasons, because you don't want to spend that much work doing art, yeah. right? When you can have maybe a standing figure with the mouth just moving kind of tricks that people do to work on, but he doesn't those corners even in 2018 or i'm guessing it was 2014 when he passed he passed away uh, 2010 2010 it's been a while right um so like people were already optimizing a lot of animation at that point i I
1: mean and the crazy thing too is um anime seems to be a, a realm of animation where uh storytellers work like as long as they can keep on going. Like uh, was, is was really old. Uh, Miyazaki is really old. And and, and, the, and they just kind of keep on going and shape these stories. And, you know, they, they get everybody contributing to their vision. So him leaving us at 46, he still would have had like lots and lots and lots of stories to tell. And, you know, the cool thing about it, I, I, I think one thing I like about your answer is that anime is an... a a storytelling medium that seems to be confined by nothing. Yeah. You know, Paprika is actually a really good example of that in the way, in the way that it's dreams within dreams within dreams. If you've ever seen, um, Inception, it really rips off a lot of stuff from. Oh, you need
0: to watch perfect blue. If you've never seen that. Uh,
1: I haven't. So I'll, (laughs) I'll put that high on my list. Um, you're, you're bound by just your own imagination and it's kind of, it's, it's kind of an art form that actually appreciates that, right? Like I know there are people who only really like the fantastical, anime. When it comes down to more grounded anime like Graves of the Firefly or, you know, like those kinds of those kinds of stories, they don't like him as much. So to bring him back to tell us more imaginative stories and and spark our own imaginations would be a good use of uh you know of my this, wish this, this, of, of yeah, my of, of this reanimation. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Hello here we go that is uh more much more about andrew robinson um i don't know what i'm going to ask him when he comes back for his eighth time but um send your suggestions now we are going to move on to the new slang in this case it's kind of the old slang um the tradition is that i go into my list of favorite films and pull out one we haven't talked about ever and uh this year for my birthday uh we are going to go Back to Marty Scorsese, somebody who we haven't done too many episodes about Scorsese on this show over the 10 years or so that I've been on the air. So we're gonna go back to arguably his masterpiece, Raging Bull is the new slang right after this. In the clearing stands a boxer and a fighter by his train, and he carries the reminders of every love that made him down, or cut to cried out in his anger and his shame. I am leaving, I am leaving, but the fighter still remains. Raging Bull is directed by Martin Scorsese. It is written by Paul Schrader and Marduk Martin. It stars Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, and Kathy Moriarty. Raging Bull is the story of Jake LaMata, a middleweight boxer who fought during the 40s and early 50s. He is brutal, belligerent, begrudging, and bashful. At his side is his brother Joey, his loyal cornerman, coach, and confidant. A lot of alliterations going on. Here. Jake's rise through the ranks seems to be going along well enough, and one day he meets Vicky, a 15-year-old neighborhood girl. In some ways, she inspires him to be something better, and someone who eventually seems like marriage material. In other ways, she brings out the worst in Jake through no faults of her own. He could have been a contender, but if he could only get out of his own damned way. Ordinarily, this is the part of the show where I would come up with some sort of pithy introduction and finish it off with a question to get us going, and uh, under the banner of Pop Quiz Hot Shot, but just to shake things up and then try something a little bit different, I decided to pass that uh, poison chalice over to my guest today and uh, put myself on the hot seat. So, uh, Mr. Robinson, why don't you uh, put your podcasting host skills to use and uh, and get us going?
0: Is this mic working? Yes, it is. (laughs) Okay. Um. (laughs) Okay. Um, what I was thinking about a lot going through this film and thinking about the world of cinema that we like to go on about is how we revere directors. We, we put them on pedestals. We make them into the, the end all and be all of the art form that is created. However, this film in particular was one that's well documented is a passion project of the actor. Hmm. right one in which he was forcing through and while he had this relationship with scorsese which made it very lucrative and easy for this project to happen it still remains a director's vision somewhat in our minds or is it is it a film in which you watch it and you think of it as a scorsese project or is it a film you watch and you think of it as a de niro joint
1: i i think this is actually a good question about the nature of collaboration in film in general, like we, like you said, we like to assign lore to, to, to the big names. James Cameron or Catherine Bigelow or Steven Spielberg or whoever it happens to be, we like to hang everything on. That was something they came up with or Christopher Nolan or you name it. We forget that it, is, it takes a village. Right, that that what we think is their vision was actually the sound designer's vision, or the writer's vision, or the actor's vision, if they brought it to it. So, whose vision is this? Um, I can I can see other actors doing this part. I can see other actors of the era doing what De Niro did in this movie. De Niro did a lot of amazing things around this point in his career. Um, but he was always kind of playing the same sort of guy. Um, I can't see another director creating this world the way that Scorsese created the world. Um, you know, everything from him taking the rock and roll record off the turntable and putting on opera to him deciding it's going to be far too violent. If we shoot it in color, we got to do this in black and white. I can't see other directors of the era. Coming to it the same way and doing it with Bob, with Robert De Niro. So if you put a gun to my head and say, whose vision is this? It's De Niro's idea, but it's fulfilled by Marty's execution. Um, I take it you like this movie. Because <laughs> if you don't, I've, I've, I've made a really bad decision <laughs> to bring you on this and make you watch it again.
0: I actually don't think I've seen this movie for like a decade. Mm. Right. The last time I watched this movie before, like the last couple days was when I forced Douglas to watch it. And he hates this movie. Okay, <laughs> um, Thanks for tuning in, Douglas. Right. Um, I adored this movie a decade ago when I saw it. Right. And today, rewatching it, how much I've seen it where I'm and something I'll bring up in the other side in films where, As we're talking about these days about real people doing awful things in the real world, films about real people doing awful things in the real world have come to touch me more and more troubling... Right. And it's not so much about awful things because, I mean, we just talked like 15 minutes ago about a man going into a town and taking a woman as his wife with yeah. little little questions. Yeah. But like that movie presents everything as fanta- fantasy. Yeah. And you can like walk, o- you can hand wave away everything and be like, oh, this is just ridiculousness. Yeah. Here today, we're watching like Scorsese makes this movie as close to a documentary as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Right. It's strange to me watching this movie where. I watch it and I'm like this. You can feel the film on this, yeah. as opposed to a lot of other movies that come out at the time, where it's it has its gloss to it. It's like there are so much things that bring away the reality. This movie brings you completely into the reality, a hundred percent. And then to walk into. Jake LaMotta's world of violence and horrible decisions repeatedly. And not so much the boxing. No. Because the boxing is mechanical at that point. Yeah. Right? Even the scenes where he's being... where he's, like, throwing the fight or he's he never goes down, as he says, against... Which I didn't remember that shot being that pretty. That moment when he... they focus on Jackie... No, it's not Jackie. It's Why am I forgetting the box? Sugar Ray Robinson. I just had Robinson in my head and for some reason thought Jackie. I'm a (laughs) moron. Um, (laughs) um, Where the camera... And that might be the one moment where the movie... The film no longer feels like it's in the way of the movie. It just does this really beautiful shot. I didn't remember that. That was kind of wonderful. Um, But just the attitude towards women in this movie... (laughs) Yeah. Is just ridiculously awful. And it is... It is painful to watch. It's not one of those things where... I hand wave away because I'm like... Oh, it's just fantasy movie making. Like... You see some Godfather-esque punches in this movie. But still, it's... It's ridiculous. Like, even the opening scene... you You talk about Vicky and getting married... As far as I remember, that's his wife in the opening scene when he's getting the steak cooked for nope. him, or am I misremembering?
1: Not, no, in the opening scene, he's he's married to a woman his own age, right? And he leaves her for for
0: yeah, for but Vicky. the woman cooking the steak, right? yeah. yeah, 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 and he's horrible. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then Vicky thinks all roses are red, and no, it isn't. Not with Jake Lamato. Yeah, right. And it's it's a rough watch this time around.
1: It's you know it's funny because I was going to get to that at a certain point, but since you're starting there, we might as well start there. Um, you know, there's uh, it's it's apropos that I'm talking about this at a point where I'm turning one year older, because I like to believe that even at the age that I am, that a lot of people when they reach this point in their life, they're set in their ways. And what I'm finding more and more as time goes on is that no, 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 I am my worldview is changing. Um, hopefully for the better i want to i want to continue to evolve and i want to continue to be affected in different ways by different things whether or not i'm experiencing them for the first time or if i'm experiencing them um you know for the in this case probably the 10th time or so um i just did a quick look and i haven't actually watched this movie in six years and in that time what i can tell you is if i were to have watched it and then asked you to do this show, we would not be talking about this movie. Um, <laughs> this movie is... I, for a while there, was reassessing and, and kind of shuffling around my my top films ever on Letterboxd kind of annually. Like around March, I would throw in the new stuff I watched and think long and hard about the older stuff I watched and kind of rejig the order a little bit. And this is sitting... I think this is sitting somewhere in my top 10. It might be at number 10. But watching it now... I still adore the filmmaking. I still find it to be so handsome and so technically perfect and such a masterpiece when it comes to its actual execution. The story is vile. I never sympathized with Jake Lamotta. I never, you know, found him to be any kind of a hero, Um, certainly an anti hero, but one I could tolerate. I look at him now in, in the course of where we are at 2019 and I'm like, you are just terrible. You are an awful person to, for so many reasons and namely the way you treat the people who are supposed to be closest to you in your life. Like that is the tragedy of this movie is that this is a person who strangers adore as a champion, you know, as a, fine specimen who can go out there and do things that they can't do or maybe that they project onto him and they see him do things they'd like to do um but as far as he he is as a man he is at home he's a monster you know he is an absolute paranoid self-loathing monster and it's an era that permitted a lot of things um that now are just i'm like this is kind of how we got here You know, these men who acted this way and were allowed to do this and allowed to treat people this way, they raised the next generation behind them that thought that it was still kind of okay and the generation behind them that kind of, okay, we're going to drop this at this but We're still going to hang on to a lot of those attitudes and now here we are. So it is, it's interesting that you bring that up first. I was going to bring that up later but that was my biggest takeaway of watching it again for the first time in six years and watching it, you know, as I'm about to, turn one year older is I don't like this story anymore. I, I can appreciate its tragedy and I can appreciate its execution, but it's, it doesn't, it doesn't hook me in the same way it did when
0: I first saw it, you know, probably 20 years ago. So I own this on disc. I own it on DVD. Um, I do too, and right. don't, don't
1: get me wrong, it ain't going anywhere.
0: But but here like, here is what I'm going to tell you, right? I, I have the disc. I'm not throwing the disc out, but like as I to, as I've told you many times, I've been doing this process of like digitizing all of yeah, my movies yeah, and I'm putting yeah. it on the. I've deleted it off the hard drive Whoa, so that I won't watch it again. Damn, <laughs>
1: damn. <laughs> now I wouldn't go that far because there, you know, I, I, when I say it is a masterpiece, it truly is. This is a level of artistry uh, that that Scorsese would be hard pressed to eclipse ever. You know, like this is a guy who has created some of the most iconic movies in history, but this is him clicking on absolutely all cylinders and using the medium to its absolute best execution. This was a movie that was released in the first year of a decade and would stand to be the best film of the decade um, by far it's him, you know, he's, he's leaving. There's a lot of him in it. There's a lot of that little Italy, uh, you know, old school New York in it that, that's, that we very much associate with him. But at the same time, there's a lot of it that's, that's not like, I mean, he would near as I know, near as I can remember, he would never work in black and white again. This was, you know, his move away from the rock soundtrack to the opera soundtrack. This was on a scale that he, that he didn't Approach all that often, like he kind of approached this sort of scale with the prestige pictures. Like, um, so Age of Innocence, he would approach this kind of uh, prestige, and certainly, um, you know, films like The Silence or, or, or Just Silence had this kind of prestige to it, and Condune had this kind of prestige to it, but it didn't have that kind of very neoclassical look that this did. So, this is this is him, you know, doing. What he does at the very, almost the very best that he ever would, and I say, and I know that that's that's a kind of a controversial statement because he did so many things so very well and continues to over his career, but to so to forsake that, like I said, like I've got a hard copy of it, it ain't going anywhere.
0: But I mean, like you say, it's like him at his best, but at the same time, it's him doing a lot of things he never does. You talk about the black and white, and. That you can kind of say, sure, but that sounds like just a simple binary decision at that point. There's there's a lot more technical decisions that before and after this movie, you never see him make again. No. Right? There's that intermediary section where it switches into color. Yeah. Right? There's the... I talk, I, I talk about the boxing matches where it just feels dirty. You talk about the... You, you talk about the gangster elements, which is in all of it, a lot of his movies, right? I when you sent this to me, I immediately thought to myself, "Oh my god, I wish I had more time so I could rewatch Goodfellas, so yeah. I could talk a little <laughs> about, about Goodfellas with this movie." Um, which is one of the things when I watch this movie, and it's in my letterbox comment for like when I logged this week. It's me going like, "Joe Pesci is my MVP of this movie because him, him beating the guy with the door, right? Joe Pesci. Had, nothing, nothing makes me happier in movie time." Than watching Joe, Pish- Joe Pesci win a fight, <laughs> 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 which is why My Cousin Vinny has always been on repeat in my, oh, <laughs> in my life. Nice. Um, but like, it's all there, but it's all just coated in this, in this, in this film. This. F- Film seems like a like a simple word, given that we're talking about movies. It's behind a screen. It's yeah. Behind like it, it's it's
1: behind glass. Yeah. You know it's it's like it's in a gallery and we can't touch it, even though we want to touch mm-hmm. it. Um, I I kind of feel like you know I I feel like it has to be kind of the same way that the film was shot in black and white because he thought if it was shot in color all that blood would just make it far too violent. I feel like it has to be behind glass because we're just kind of catching up to how nasty this is now if it wasn't behind glass if it was much more tactile much more 2019 and and visceral we would we
0: would reject it so my question to you is this right we're talking about this in a way we're like oh right we haven't seen this movie in a long time yeah Ten years ago when I saw this movie, mm-hmm. I spent more time lauding the technique. Mm-hmm. And not just the filmmaking, but the acting. Yeah. Where I'm talking about De Niro's fascination with the character and what he does. Yeah. Pesce, what he's going for there when we talk about um, the even the boxing matches and how they're filmed. Yeah now we're spending our time talking about the real people and what their actions mean to us right does that affect the way you look at like character now when you're watching portrayals in this movie
1: yes i mean like it's the thing is is that everybody in this movie is is so neck deep in their characters that i'm not even and not only are they neck deep in their characters but they're so far removed from the time that they and, – and look and are dressing of a time even before that time that they, they might as well – I might as well be watching people I do not know. None of these people look like this anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's not – like if I put this on right now and somebody had, and somebody only knew Robert De Niro from Silver Linings Playbook or, or, or The Intern –
0: you know, I was hoping you not, were going to say the fuckers.
1: No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if somebody had only ever seen Meet the Parents, they probably wouldn't recognize him. If people have only seen Joe Pesci in his like later gangster movies, they're really not going to recognize him because he's got a full head of hair, you know? Um, the only person you would absolutely positively recognize, Frank, sorry, Frank Vincent. Right. Frank Vincent is I the don't only know person. his
0: real name. He's just Gangsta Dude. Gangsta
1: Dude. He, you know, he gets, he gets killed late in The Sopranos. He always, he's, he's in the casino, he's in Goodfellas, he's all, he speaks the same sort of way, he always kind of looks the same sort of way, he's just kind of stuck in time, you know, he's, he's the mosquito in Amber. But everybody else is such a distant snapshot of themselves that it's not even like watching them anymore, it is actually very much like watching these people in 1940s New York. Um, I mean, now watching it, one of the most fascinating things about this movie to me, which I probably skimmed right past every other time is watching Kathy Moriarty as Vicky Uh, because she, you know, like when they shot this, she would have been 18. And in the movie she's playing, she starts out playing fifteen, So we'll put a pin in the problematic part of, you know, Jake LaMotta. I love
0: that scene. Like, he's like, who's she? And and, and, and Pesci pl- is trying to wa- wave it off. He's like, what's he talking to her? Like, she's a child. Yeah, and, yeah he goes, what are you going to do? Take her to the Copacabana?
1: <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, exactly. It's like, what are you doing? And even at, like, even at a time where that was still kind of okay, you know? Like, that, that, that's the crazy thing. is back in the 40s. It was like, yeah, you can still sort of get that past, you know he's like no that's that's your your line is a little bit too far there buddy um but watching her through this movie um you know playing across the way from two titans it's incredible to watch her there's so many times where she puts so much on her face whether it's um you know, knowing what she's capable of, or not being sure what she's capable of, or knowing that she's getting in too deep, but still wanting to go there. Um, you know, she ages as it goes along, because this movie spans over the course of about 15 years and same sort of thing, watching her play opposite Robert de Niro at the absolute top of his game and not give him an inch. Nope is incredible. It's, inc- it's incredible to see her do all of this. Um, oftentimes, not really raising her voice. Like I had, to, I had to crank the sound on this thing because she all she and and she tends to bring him down in volume. So there's a lot of scenes where the two of them are talking and it's intimate and it's vulnerable and it's you know sometimes it's sad, but they're talking really softly and it's like you still can't take your eyes away. And not because she's striking, although she is striking, but it's just. Because of the power she commands. And it's like you it, this sounds terrible, but you can understand how men are falling over themselves for their this young girl. Yeah. But at the same time, you also get an idea that she is far more assured of herself than this, you know, prize fighter ever will be.
0: People love to talk about this movie about the time the transition, the time that it takes throughout this movie towards the end. People love to talk about Fat De Niro mm-hmm. and his his um, method acting yeah. and stuff. People never remind me about skinny-ass Joe Pesci at the end of this movie. Yeah, yeah. Right, where he looks like a completely different person. He looks like Anthony
1: Shalhoub. <laughs> it's, 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 Tony Shalhoub is who he looks like, you know? Like,
0: like Robert De Niro is, like, chasing down this guy. And I'm like, that's not your brother. that's yeah. guy. And then it turns out to be him. <laughs> it
1: is his brother. Yeah. Um, what does this movie say? Like, you know, we, we've kind of been... We've kind of been tapping on it, but... Um, What does this movie say now about masculinity? I mean, punch your
0: way to the top, right? Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's what I don't think it says anything about masculinity to me. Like it's maybe, maybe it's a, I spend too much time thinking about, and, and this is one of the things that I have trouble with, with some of these movies nowadays is that when it digs itself into reality, I have trouble accepting what they present to me when it's awful. When I'm like, no, this is wrong. This should have been skirted away a long time ago, and we never should have had this. Um, but when it's in a in a in a parable form, it's kind of easier for me to be like, okay, cool. That's what you wanted me to learn. Right. <laughs> like this movie, like it's it's a film in which a a person presents violence throughout his life and is just generally looking to move up but doesn't really get anywhere and just has an awful time of it. It's just the general sense of he's an awful human being and gets an awful ending, right? Yeah.
1: I mean, what I think what I think it still says, besides the fact that it talks about a very different era of man, mm-hmm. right? Like, I'm, I don't get me wrong, there are still lots of corners of the world where this is, you know, the, the, the prototypical ideal of masculinity. Uh, we are talking about this from a... Corner of the world that is, you know, trying to do something a little different and wants to move the goalposts. Where it gets interesting to me is not in his brutishness, right? Because there's a lot of people who are still really gruff. It's a lot of people who, you know, I'm, I'm not expecting everybody to suddenly declare themselves feminists and it's just not
0: it's it's not not all of us shave our playoff beards listen this is an audio (laughs) medium people have no
1: (laughs) idea what you're speaking of but what i do expect people of and where i do see that this is a film that really should be seen as a cautionary tale is this is a man who cannot deal with his insecurities and you can say whatever you want about what it means to be a man in 2019. But I think what it, what has to be first and foremost is, you know what? You're going to worry about shit. You're going to think that you're not good enough or you're not strong enough or you're not rich enough or that other people are circling what you think is yours. Whether it's your job or your spouse or your country or whatever. What will where this movie shows what not to be and what we should be is not violent and insecure and self-loathing about those kinds of things. Because that is where Lamata is at his absolute worst. Not when he's beating people to a bloody pulp in the ring, but when he is lashing out at the people around him because he thinks he is failing himself, he's failing them, he is seen as a failure. And that is where he turns so truly terrible. That, you know, not only does he lash out with them, but then he goes and he channels it into the ring and he beats people senseless and then stares at the people who he wants to make a point to, whether it's, you know, a rival or his family. He's like, see, see what I just did? That is the point where I think this movie needs to be seen as a cautionary tale and where we need to be evolving.
0: And I mean, the 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 opposite to that is who I keep bringing up, Mr. Pesci. -hmm. Right throughout this film, he's the the lesser brother who's seen as smaller because he is actually smaller. Yeah, um, he is the manager, he's the one who's basically the the employee. Right, he's the tag along, he's just there because his brother is a contender. But every time that his brother lashes out, he's the one who tries to be reasonable with him. Yeah, when his brother goes crazy, he's the one who goes, You know, you're you're crazy, like, don't why are you doing this? And he just leaves and goes back to his family and enjoys life. At the end of the movie, when He finds him, he's still happily married as far as we know, right? To the point where he actually tells him, do I need to bring my wife to see the kiss so that we don't have questions later, right? He can still play jokes because he's a reasonable human being. Yeah, Like, sure, he probably did some of that awful stuff in the 40s, but he was the good version of good 40s version man yeah,
1: yeah. i mean like that, that's and that's what i'm saying like i'm not looking for every man out there to suddenly you know be able to confront their feelings and articulate their their insecurities i'm just saying you know you could level up just a little bit and still be joe pesci you know it's it, it's incredible that all of this that i'm like i'm to me, it feels that I'm thinking about this now because I never would have thought I would have been thinking about this sort of shit when I, when I invited you on the show last week. Um, you know, you were talking about the fact that it's buying glass. We do need to talk about the technique of this film because that is what, you know, I know you deleted it off your drives. <laughs> but that's what's going to keep it for me and what carries it, the sound, the editing, everything, you know, the, the trickery that's involved, um, you know, notably the size of the ring keeps on shrinking as, as the movie goes on, like when – it when in the, some of those first fights, the ring is massive and, and you know, it's it just kind of showing like his command of something and it gets – you know, as he gets more and more paranoid and, you know, he succeeds actually as the movie goes along, the walls are kind of closing in him around him. Mm-hmm. It's a Scorsese movie so we've got a long take. It's – you know, that – is that still worth something even though we're talking about how the story of this –
0: is no, it, it is work? like those are the things that keep you going in a movie like this where you're like okay i can start looking at scorsese being scorsese and doing his amazing work there is there's a shot in this movie that i continue to marvel at and it's 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 the vicky meeting scene mm-hmm. where i think it ends on like her legs in the pool yeah right And for some reason, I I found myself staring at this and not because I wanted to look at a cute 18 year old (laughs) legs, um, but because there was, um, it was just the effect of the black and white scenery onto the pool, which is almost invisible to us. Mm -hmm. Like it's something that kind of goes in and out as the legs are moving up and down, that you're like, oh, something is going on there. And it just stuck with me. It's one of those weird things where, like, Once again, I said it a little earlier, talking about Kubrick and the Shining, where you wonder how much of it is a technical limitation versus a design decision, right? Where, is this something that Scorsese saw and loved on the day? Is it something that he knew would come out that way and personally tweaked everything? Or is it just the fact that he needed to end the shot and that's where he put it, right?
1: (laughs) I want to believe that it's deliberate. Like, this is a guy who was really meticulous at this point in his career, um, you know, like there, there's far too much else in this movie that's super deliberate. I'll tell you a really dumb story, please. Yeah.
0: Um, I was reading um, the book about Sidney Lumet, and he and he opens the book. It's one of his opening stories of the book where he was talking to Kurosawa. Okay, right about the film Iran. Right, Iran. One of my favorite movies. It was actually on like my shortlist for all the stuff we were talking about earlier. <laughs> um, the and he was talking about this shot in Iran, where like you're looking at the castle. and everything is burning down, right? And he's asking Kurosawa, he's like, how did you get that shot? Like, what was going on in your mind? And Kurosawa says, look, man, if I put the camera three inches to the left, you you saw the airplanes. If I put it three inches to the right, you saw the the industrial buildings. I had to put it there.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, you are, you're reminding me of a movie I saw uh, this year at TIFF um called uh sing singh and um it's it's directed by a, a woman from india and her, her she works with a very small crew she works with her sister-in-law and her sister-in-law's cousin one of them does camera one of them does sound and uh she, there, there's a whole sequence in can sing that's shot at night and i remember a, an audience member asked her about like how she lit the night scene and what she did to approach the night scene and how much work she did to the night scene she goes I turned to my sister-in-law and I told her, "Turn the camera on." <laughs> you know, it's we, you like we, we I know what you're getting at. We like to theorize about these kinds of things, about like how intentional the, the 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 water was and what it means and all that stuff. You know, that's all over the Kubrick film as well. But sometimes it was just as simple as, "You hey, know, that's kind of cool. Get that. Maybe we'll use that." You know, it, it could have been be
0: worse. That seems less special when we I think mean, of it that way. I well, guess it's like, that's the thing. Like there there is a lot of water.
1: In this movie, like I, I don't feel as though that it's that much of an accident that there's this much water in a movie that wants to talk about sinning and redemption. Like, you know, the, the film ends with a quote of where once I was blind, now I can see, you know, there, there's far too much water in the hands of a
0: catholic filmmaker for it to be anything but deliberate i always forget the catholic part of him oh (laughs) i mean i mean i was raised
1: catholic i can't not see it i
0: mean silence is like the obvious one to like start talking Uh, about it but it's there
1: in mean streets it's there in yeah
0: mean streets i haven't watched that one in a long while that
1: see that's the one i if i were to go back and do this different that might be the one i do (laughs) because i mean it's still like there's still a lot of Terrible things in that, yeah. but I think it's aged a little bit better than this movie has. And that one has ones.
0: more like shenanigans of a story that it's no longer real, real people. Yeah, that you can kind of
1: yeah, like I mean, you disassociate could, yeah, Like you could gloss it just like slightly different, and it's The Sopranos.
0: Yeah, you know,
1: um, yeah, it's, it's it's incredible to to go back to this. Um, how it's a movie that was you know. Of a different era at the end of one era at the beginning of another era and stood as 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 something kind of altogether different and now seems so quaint you know it's it's crazy like for a long time this kind of felt like a work a film that would be timeless that would never age That was just kind of locked in this bubble and in terms of its technique in terms of everything that is behind the glass it has aged immaculately it still looks so handsome I can still imagine a lot of people who have never seen it before watching it now and thinking, holy crap, this thing is gorgeous. But in yet a whole other way, it has just aged so terribly. And I, I think that is, going forward, what might be what holds it back. It's going to depend on how people start to approach these stories, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, we're talk- I'm talking about favorite movies here and even... I read a book this week that even had me thinking a little bit differently about my all-time favorite movie, Almost Famous. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I was reading a book about a band in the '70s, and this, the lead singer of the band is a is a starts out as a groupie, and I got to thinking to myself, I "Was like, why was that ever okay?" And which got me thinking about Almost Famous because there's the whole groupie culture thing, and I'm like, if I were to come on come against that movie now, what would I think? Would I still love it the same way I love it now? and i don't know that i would and and, then that's the thing is that i never expected that i would have been questioned this one yeah yeah this is
0: kind of the surprise of the show for me um happy birthday (laughs) (laughs) also almost almost famous untouchable we we need to if douglas shows up for another tip we have to do like the almost famous screening just to kind of like trap him (laughs) <laughs> giggle around him.
1: i'm not in any rush to go back to that movie now as i said reading that book and thinking about it watching, like feeling the way i feel about this movie that was for so long like for at least 20 years cemented just yeah unassailable to me and i'm like uh, you know i just just leave that one leave that one on, on the shelf I'll 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 take from it what I take from it. I don't don't make me think. It's not a good idea. I don't I don't like that. Um, it's yeah. But I mean, at the same time, like neither one of us, neither one of us thinks that this is a bad movie. Now, you know, like this is not the kind of thing I'd say has aged like Gone with the Wind or has aged like um, the Jazz Singer. Where if somebody were to sit down and watch it now, they would actually find it to be a complete monstrosity you know but it's just that that thing in the middle of it has aged just poorly enough that the worm has turned
0: yeah Joe Pesh is really awesome he
1: is I mean, <laughs> you know it's, it's like just listening to him explain things something like it's he's got this weird combo of matter-of-factness you know like when he's talking about how how Jake has to approach the fight with Gennaro 'Cause Gennaro is like the, the, the golden boy who's coming up through the ranks. And he, he sits it down to him and, and says, if you lose, you win. If you win, you still win. You know, like you can this is you can't lose in this situation. No matter the outcome of the fight, all you have to do is show up at weight. You know, and, and how he keeps telling
0: them, stop eating. It's it's always so funny. So I always tell people that like the actor that I will follow to the end of the earth and watch anything he's in. No matter how garbage it is is Jason Statham. Mhm. Right. Yep. Like I just adore his garbage yeah. movies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd li-
1: we, we I trust me, I know.
0: I'd like to imagine that if I was this age in 85 when Pesci was at his height, Pesci would be that guy that for guy, me. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> he's he's got that he's got that kind of that, that kind of way about him. Um, you know, and and same thing like every time even just even watching him in just like the most uncomfortable moments. Like one of the iconic scenes of this film is when Jake confronts Joey and says, you know, did you sleep with my wife? He says it very differently, of course. And watching the reaction, like I would almost believe that was take one and that, and that Pesci had not even heard the script, you know, because the reaction is this amazing combination of being so aghast and so confused that this thing that this question is being posed to him and he nails it perfectly and then just how he goes on with his response and it's like I am not entertaining this question. I'm not like I'm not giving you any kind of answer because that is not a question that you are ever gonna ask me ever again.
0: I always think of the earlier scene, the one where he's asking Pesci to hit him. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like wrapping up the yeah. thing and he's like, what do you want me to hit you for? Yeah. And it's just like this perfect Perfect, Pesci. Like yeah. Pesci character.
1: The way Pesci, like you know, when Pesci trying to tell him, like you should have just dropped. You know, like you were gonna throw the fight anyway. Drop. Let me show you Here, how to do it. You out, let me show you how to do it, and he just dropped. I lo- in the kitchen. I love it. He's like, put your heads up. Watch how I do this. It's incredible.
0: <laughs> um, just remember, he bars his mother's knife. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. he does.
1: Uh, we end every matinee cast on a souvenir, something tangible or intangible that you could take away from this movie and keep. Andrew Robinson, if you could keep anything from raging bull what would you take
0: i want to i want to i mean my size one of pesci suits right
1: i mean this is some well-dressed these are some well-dressed new yorkers all right let's just like people back then dress better mm-hmm. we're sitting here in jeans and t-shirts mm-hmm. never would have been and <laughs> yeah, no, P- pesci suits i don't think pesci suits are gonna fit you of i course. mean as i said my
0: size so okay I- oh and you're
1: like so, okay <laughs> uh my souvenir from this movie um I love Jake and Vicky's apartment like that. That to me reminds me of like the, the, the kind of apartments and homes that like my family, when they moved to Toronto in the mid fifties, probably like inhabited, you, you would never find that kind of apartment anymore. Like that layout and Mm -hmm. certainly that size um, is like a thing of the past. And in New York, especially like most of their apartments are like the size of a broom closet. But I just love that kind of, Feel of an apartment where there's actual rooms, where there's long corridors that don't have all kinds of light in them. Um, I'd love that apartment. I'd move into that apartment in a heartbeat. Um, and we are not going to rate this movie because that's ridiculous to rate a movie like this 40 years after um, I think I would still say that people should see it even if they have, have seen it before like revisit it now and see how it sits Andrew deleted it off his hard drive so he says screw that <laughs> um, but hey let us know if you've watched this movie recently or if you haven't watched this movie recently what do you think of Martin Scorsese's Raging Bolt? we are going to flip the record over and play the other side talk about some other movies right after this so come on back oh! Back, it's Matt Naicast 224. I'm Ryan McNeil. He's Andrew Robinson. It's my birthday show. I'm turning a year older. uh, As you listen to this, I'm outside on a patio somewhere reading a book while you're enjoying your work day. Uh, (laughs) Because I take time off my work day. We've been talking a lot about Martin Sorosisi's Raging Bull, his uh, masterpiece from 1980. Um, This is the point of the show where we talk about companion films. Maybe you can go on to to provide a contrast, provide a companion. Mr. Robinson. After you came away from this opus, what did you find yourself uh, thinking might be good for the reviewing after the book?
0: So it felt like really um, kismet, because I saw a film over the weekend for the first time which I thought was a perfect companion. Um, Because it's a film from the 60s, it's an Italian film, it's black and white, it's about a family immigrating to Milan, um, a poor family. and. Um, about a bunch of brothers, and it's just what it is. And it is a very problematic film like this one. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. But one that brought up a lot of the same things I felt when it came to revisiting this movie, a beautiful film with a lot of melodrama in it that's great, but still has this crux of, oh my God, there's an awful thing in this movie. Um, And this is a film called rocco and his brothers okay um by vincenzo Natale. i could have that name wrong no kay. vincenzo natali is splice vincenzo there's a vincenzo something i I need to look up the name again um i'm messing up the name but i had heard about this movie from a few people like it's it's apparently a film that very much influenced the godfather lucino visconti lucino visconti <laughs> i got a v in there somewhere <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um lucino visconti yeah um very much influenced the godfather and its family roots um th- the score was done by Nino roto mm. um okay right and it is literally about this family. The family the beginning of the movie is the family, the mother and all of their children moving from the southern Italy into Milan. And they're a poor family and just it's a three hour film about them figuring out Milan. Right? It's chaptered to each brother. Okay. Throughout the entire film. Yeah, we're talking about brothers today. It was like- <laughs> right? And the uh, And also what's great about it is unlike some movies that like to chapter out their films to different stories, say a Buster scruggs film. Mm. This is a film that while each chapter kind of develops its own story on each brother, it also has like the overarching thing continuing in like a linear progression. Mm. So you still kind of have things going on in the background with other characters. Okay progressing throughout the film so it's not something where like you jump around in time and are right. all confused right. um but it is a beautiful film where did you see this um on the criterion channel ah, okay okay <laughs> um it is amazing but once again there is an awful thing that happens in oh, the middle okay. of this movie okay that anyone watching this movie today would be like it, them Italians in the sixties—they did not. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong.
1: Um, I, I actually had not even ever heard of this, and I will. Uh... Actually,
0: actually, the, the first time I heard about this movie was when I went to the light box to go and see The Yards, the James Gray film, and James Gray was there talking, and he started listing out all of his films, on Rocco and his brothers was one of them, and he was talking about it specifically. I don't know if you've seen The Yards. Nope, right um there's a fight scene in that movie where joaquin phoenix and um, and mark Wahlberg kind of tussle okay where like in m- hollywood movies when you see fights they're very well choreographed and kind of pinned out yeah this move this fight is done like a real fight like one guy gets the other guy to the ground like grabbing right? and is actually <laughs> swinging okay yeah yeah and the fight's over <laughs> okay and it- Kind of goes on as people try to keep fighting, but you really know the fight's over, right? And he took that from this movie, Rocco and his brothers, and he kind of went on about this whole thing. So it's been in my mind for like four or five months and since then, I yeah, saw and that. And then as soon as you saw Raging Bull, it's like, oh, it's, I remember, okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I, mean, that's the, the movies that inform, that, that's one thing I actually wasn't uh, bringing up when I, was, when I was looking for other side movies, was a movie that informed this movie. Because um, I mean... You know there's, it's it's legend the way that scorsese was steeped in 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 film history you know like all the movies that he saw as a kid uh and how that shaped his vision you know all those all those like classic directors this is probably a movie that that shaped him somehow um considering that it was 20 years before he made this one um my actually first companion film you're probably gonna laugh because it's 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 actually a, a recommendation that's very unlike me for a lot of reasons. Um, but one of the first movies I thought of when I thought of Raging Bull is Rocky Three.
0: I was hoping I assumed you were going to say Creed.
1: No, <laughs> no, <laughs> because no, because Creed, along with it being, you know, twenty five years later, is is a very very different brand of movie even though it's still on brand of Rocky. Like like Creed is where I jump back in. Rocky 3 is where the Rocky movies really become the Rocky movies. If people no, no 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 you're you're holding up a 4. Let us let us not skip ahead in chapters. People hear the term Rocky now and they come armed with a certain idea. You know, they come with the running up the steps and they come with the, you know, I'm not going to get you knocked down and the the bell and all that stuff. But if you watch, certainly Rocky, certainly Rocky and even Rocky, a lot of Rocky 2, that's not really the framework of those movies. Those movies are much more uh, level, much more working class, much more about the man and his family and his friends and, you know, they're not actually about the training and i bet you yeah, I've, I've said this before i bet you if you line up 10 people and ask them what happens at the end of rocky i'm willing to bet at least five think he wins okay <laughs> rocky 3 though 1982 comes out two years after raging bull and this is the movie where he starts out as a champion he's got to reclaim his belt it's it's the one where eye of the tiger shows up it's, you know, yeah, 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 you know, Hulk Hogan is in this movie. Mr. T is in this movie. I bring up Rocky III as a companion film to to Raging Bull to show how two movies can have a similar idea at their center, be only two years apart, and be light years in difference in terms of the story they are telling. Rocky III is so very 80s, so very American, rah, rah look at us we're winning me decade everything is awesome is
0: this the one where he has the robot
1: yeah i think that's four or is that
0: okay i, think <laughs> I could never remember which one though because he because at this point he's gotten like into fame and like yeah you let, know let
1: me let me let me
0: double check that. because i i love that dumb robot <laughs> and he keeps that is in four robot butler is in four and his his friend keeps getting the robot to (laughs) pre-impears yeah yeah no
1: and that's so so this movie watching these two movies together um you know it would I, I would I believe I would have a hard time convincing people that they were made just two years apart because they feel of such and I mean like one is of its time and one is telling a story of the past so I mean maybe that's maybe that's a cheat but even just in terms of its approach and its execution, they couldn't be more different. And it's and it, I think it's such a startling contrast to see those two things. And you know, every time that somebody brings up a movie like *Raging Bull* as the best movie of the '80s, it's like, yeah, you're you're not wrong, but it just does not at all epitomize what the '80s were about. *Rocky III*. Is uh, is is all about what the eighties were about? Everything you know, like like the the, the selling out and the champions and America's on top for a few minutes there, and you know every and and getting yourself back up and all that jazz. It's all in Rocky Three.
0: Purple Rain is what the eighties was about. I mean,
1: there's that, <laughs> too. but I, I think that that could make an incredible double feature.
0: I mean, that kind of comes down to the the product of what those two films are. Oh yeah, right? Raging Bull is a product of de niro wanting to be the best actor to ever act in the worldly world well it's also him
1: wanting to get his friend off his coked out ass and say you're gonna do this now or you're never gonna do this and you may never do anything else you know i know you just got your ass handed to you trying to do your great big musical movie and it didn't work but let's get our shit together and do something incredible
0: there's still a few scorsese films i haven't seen i've seen new york new york oh my god (laughs) Yeah, there's. You watch that movie for two shots, and that's it. And you can and you can YouTube them now. Don't do it. But Rocky is like the franchise Stallone made for himself. It's like the equivalent if we were talking about. Right?
1: Yeah.
0: Like you think of Sylvester Stallone. And people have one of two answers. It's either Rocky or Rambo. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And those movies were made for Stallone to make himself into a name, the same way that TV series are made for actors that we now still call them by their names. Right? And that's kind of why all of the the goodness of Rocky is what it is. Yeah, but
1: I mean, it's, again, those first two especially are just so strikingly different. I mean, and and it's crazy because they're they're still, they're written by Stallone, right? Like the the Rocky, Rocky one especially is still written by Stallone. So he still had a huge hand in it. It was, it was number two that he was directing. So he still had a say in what that story was shaped as. And it still kind of followed the, the format written like, you know, molded by Irvin Winkler. But it was after that. It's once we get to three, once we get full on into the eighties because Rocky two is still only in 79. Once we get into the me decade, that's when that capital R takes over, you know, and now he's won, so now he's on top. What other movies did you have to to go along with uh, uh, with Raging Bull?
0: Oh, you're (laughs) smiling. I don't like this at all. It's going to be
1: bad.
0: (laughs) So... Come on, man. It's my birthday. Don't do this. Raging Bull is a film about a gentleman who has his best friend beside him, his brother beside him hyping him up everywhere around the world and just telling him you're the bestest Uh you you'll beat all of them Uh if you lose you win if you win you win as a as a famous man once told me right right we're better to find this sort of behavior than in pop star never stop popping
1: (laughs) you're going with that. Okay.
0: never stop stopping never stop never stopping okay um look the lonely island just released a thing on netflix that i couldn't get five minutes past yes. this movie is a movie i adore right i love andy samberg and his ridiculousness i still watch brooklyn 99 i love I, you
1: know i came around a, i didn't like brooklyn 99 when i first started i love it now
0: it's, it's an amazing it ridiculous is. farce of a show Yes <laughs> yes, I love that the cold open has nothing to do with nothing. I my favorite cold open has to be when they he makes the the people in line sing backstreet boys yeah
1: <laughs>
0: yeah I do I do love that um, I do
1: love that there was one where they were all uh, all really hopped up on coffee and they thought everybody else was moving in <laughs> slow motion but it turns out they were actually going really quick uh, never stop, never stopping um, I, I,
0: I, I mean. I guess <laughs> this movie is ridiculous. This, yes, it is. The, 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 we just you talk about the men of the time and the men of now. This is very much a movie that pokes at the men of now in the that's most a, ridiculous of ways. Po- yeah, right? yeah, that
1: is a very good point.
0: Because right? I mean,
1: you know, a lot of a lot of the icons of this decade that we're now finishing um, were cut from a certain cloth. You know, and and the success of these young men w- was was measured in some very strange ways. So this might be a really good satire to kind of <laughs> examine all of that, even if I'm not completely sure of the math.
0: <laughs> oh come on, man, Andy Samberg, you know wig. <laughs> yeah
1: i'll give it 20 minutes um (laughs) one of the other movies i thought about actually to go along with um raging bull is another scorsese movie um that we did talk about on this show so i'll probably drop in a a link to that episode on the show notes is um i thought about wolf of wall street wolf of wall street of course you know uh, leo dicaprio back with um Back with Scorsese after you know, kind of the end. It would seem of their run of films, at least for the for the foreseeable future. I think they're doing something in, in down the road, maybe. If you know, I mean, Marty's not young. That's the thing that's crazy is every time he releases a movie, I always wonder to myself: Is this the last one? Never stop um, stopping. Never stop. Never stop. <laughs> Wolf Wall Street, though, I remember at the time, and certainly now, um, the great big knock on it was: Look at these assholes. Look at like we have just lionized some absolutely deplorable people. Men, some, some absolutely asaholic men, and put them on screen larger than life in a way that seems to lionize them for three friggin' hours and had them swear off their asses for three hours. I believe it still holds the record for the most amount of F-words in one movie. And What Shane brought up at the time, because Shane was my guest on that show, and what I still cling tight to is that is what Scorsese has been about for his whole career is let us look at the worst of us. And maybe he was ahead of the curve. Maybe he realized back in 1980 how absolutely vile Jake LaMotta really was. And the rest of us are actually just kind of catching up or maybe just the worm has turned and, and, you know, he looks worse now. All of the guys in Wolf of Wall Street, every single one of them just looked like absolute
0: shit heels at the time and in the six years since, even more so. So you had your boxing pick. I'm going to bring you mine, which I'm certain you've never even heard of, much less seen, mm. um, because it comes from the land of Japan.
1: Mm. <laughs> um, so are we moving on from Wolf of Wall Street? Yeah. Okay. Or, I, All right. or, you're just like, yeah, well said. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> um, go on.
0: This is one of my favorite shonen anime series um by the name of Hajime no Ippo. How do you spell that? H <laughs> A J I M E no Okay. I PPO It, it's, the rest of it does up. it's it's it can pick you up from there. Um which is a very much it like It's like a Nintendo game. It very much does. What are you
1: doing to me? <laughs> this is serious business. I'm, oh, a,
0: I'm taking you down what? the dark
1: path. I don't no. <laughs> No no
0: no, I listened to your show for that.
1: This is my little quarter. What are you doing?
0: <laughs> my god. Okay, please um, continue. Like very much like how you were discussing Rocky and the the hero's journey that that sh- that movie is. This is that in anime form. Like yeah. it's 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 one of these classic tales of just the from nothing to something boxing hero. Okay. Um and it lasted of Like, it was a classic manga that I've never seen, but the anime itself, like, it was, like, 100-plus episodes. Oh, my God. Like, it it was a great, like, Shonen always has its... There were
1: 123 books in this series oh my
0: that's sure sh- sh- shonen shonen in, a, in in manga is the equivalency of a regular running series in comic books right it just keeps going as long as they can keep running oh, okay. it okay right uh, yeah yeah, okay, yeah no,
1: <laughs> we were saying there's 123 supermans i would okay yeah all right, yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, um
0: and they do their shit weekly <laughs> in, in in shonen it's in black and white come on right. man that's, you know,
1: i mean like, yeah like, yeah yeah i can crank those out every yeah, week if
0: yeah I'm just yeah they skip a step for comics but still yeah. right th- some of them get bad because <laughs> right, right. I get you. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, and, that's... in the actual, like, the, the, the video versions of this? Or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and eventually those get translated into enemies I mean, that's where, like, the Dragon Ball started in Shonen, okay. and that's kind I mean, of what popularized it. Like, I feel like
1: that would be, like, a really wicked swing to sit somebody down for Raging Bull and then take them into, <laughs> you know, No epo. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, it is. But, but the thing about it is that all of the problems we've talked about with Raging Bull you won't find there... And you'll have really? all of you'll yeah. have you'll have all of the fun of just a fun boxing story right, with okay. with okay. children okay. like okay. doing right. things like it, I mean it kind of gets superhero when like you talk about like boxing moves that they invent into yeah. the movie okay. into the show. <laughs> All right, but all right. it's it's just a ridiculous fun boxing show, and just me thinking about boxing things. And also, I'm not going to lie, trying to be a little bit unique and find no, something I've never yeah, heard I'm, of. I'm,
1: I'm certainly curious. I'll watch a little bit of it. I don't know how. Just know YouTube. Watch like
0: just, go to, seasons, just go to YouTube, and like I'm sure you can find like one or two episodes just dangling around. Should, no
1: kidding. <laughs> um, all right, I'll give it a go. Um, okay, so the last one I've got for this was I was thinking about Scorsese's use of black and white, and I. Adore black and white in terms of imagery I, I still don't understand why it's not used far more often because in just about every other medium it's you know like certainly in like photography and in ads it's used all the time but in film it's like eh, you know we're, we're, we're turning something different um, so I was thinking about like modern black and white films and when I thought about which films have I seen lately that were the most handsome I came to one answer and you're already smiling because I think you might even know what it is What? Roma? No, not Roma. Not Roma. I was thinking close. You're you're, you're in the right... You're you're actually really close. Um, I was thinking about Cold War. uh, I thought of
0: the other one immediately when you said no to Roma. I'm like, Ida. It must be Ida. No. (laughs) Again, you're you're, you're circling it. Um, This
1: film was up for Best Foreign Film last year. It was up for Best Director last year. It was up for Best Cinematography last year. And yes, it is rare that a foreign film, gets Best Director. It, ha- it hadn't happened in a long, long time before this year. Um, Best Director and not Best Picture. That was the thing, was that you had your, whatever it was, eight or nine Best Picture nominees, and then you had Cold War for Best Director. Um, it's a film, it's such a simple story. It's just this couple that kind of drift together and apart, and together and apart in Cold War, Poland, France, UK. Um, starts in the 40s, goes to the 60s, it is goddamn gorgeous. It has some, inc- again, like Raging Bull, has some incredible music, has some stunning sequences. This is a movie I could watch this movie on mute if it wasn't for the fact that I know I'd be missing out on some amazing movies,
0: amazing music. I mean, I, I agree with you on everything. The only thing is, I don't know how many times I can watch that movie because it depress. It has a depressing ass ending. Right? Just stop it five minutes early. go <laughs> Phoebe, off Phoebe,
1: Phoebe's mom on that, and just mm-hmm. say, okay, the end. <laughs> just stop it there. Stop it when they reunite. You don't need to go all the way down the path with them. Just stop at the beginning of the path.
0: Okay, cool. You know? That might fix it. Yeah,
1: and, and it's, it's I just... I do love that movie, though. Yeah. Like, that... I will watch everything that this man so, does from now on. So, How awesome? my
0: co-hosts have griefed me ever since the end of last year when I went on the Roma train. Okay. Right? Because they were not on it either. Right? I, I remember... They're, wrong. However, they're very wrong. they're very wrong however there is one comment I remember Damien making which I feel applies very much to this movie and it's because I it actually just came up in my mind not the words but the thought itself okay right yeah. when he was like talking about Roman he's like this movie looks gorgeous and not just in the sense that like the photography is great or whatever to the point where I know this movie is in black and white but I see color when I watch this movie because yeah. I can see Everything, per- and I felt that about Cold War. Like I, like hearing you talk about Cold War, I just started to think to myself: were there parts of this in color? And no. I'm thinking to myself: yeah, yeah, yeah. no. <laughs> like no. I could, I could I see mean, those it's, things. It's
1: funny that you mention that because I remember when I was studying photography, I remember um, people were asking me like, "How do you see in black and white? You know, like if you're composing a shot in color, how do you, in your brain, transpose it into black and white? Because I mean, now there's one button on your camera." that will change your viewfinder to black and white and you can see what you're doing mm-hmm. at the time. It, you know, you're shooting on film. So you're looking at, you know, the thing. What, you're looking through your eye and you're just kind of mentally making the adjustments. So it's, it's funny. It's like, I will see color and kind of like, think this might look interesting stripped away. Like I was doing a se- I was doing a writing series on that for a while, right? Like stripping the color out of various movies and seeing what happens. So I do it the other way around. I do it. Like I'll see a movie in color and strip it away. And I'll be like, I can see this in black and white. I, I very seldom watch a black and white movie and think to myself, I can see this in color. Very <laughs> seldom actually.
0: And I don't mean about like seeing it in color, like, Oh, it would look great in color. No, I mean, as just, in, you can see yeah. in
1: your, in your mind's eye. You can see, you know, like the, you look
0: at the jacket, and you're like, "That's a blue jacket."
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, or, yeah. You'll, you'll see the flowers they're holding, and you get an idea, you know, or, or like certainly, like you know, like the, the what's on the table, like the for the food is on the table. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm I'm always kind of stunned that more films are in more modern films aren't in black and white, um, but uh, the ones like Raging Bull and Cold War, they you know, they they, they become that much more special because of it. And speaking of special, that is episode 224 of the Matinee Cast. It was a special episode. And I do thank everybody for listening this far. Um, come on back on Monday, June 17th for episode 225. We will be discussing Booksmart. Gives you two weeks to go out and see it and catch up with it. And um, preview of coming attractions, go see it and catch up with it. Uh, Andrew Robinson, of course, can be found on the Unnamed Movie Podcast. Uh, what do you got going up next week
0: that people can look forward to? the the pika pika detective pikachu that's, that's up this week isn't it <laughs> that's up this week so you get the pikachu, and then, one pikachu and, and then we got us coming after that and you and somewhere in there is john wick somewhere in there it might appear we'll find out <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh yes you're trying to herd cats that is the <laughs> unnamed moon podcast to try being a guest on that show uh and if people want to follow you on twitter where can they find you
0: i'm G-Man Reviews on twitter
1: very nice my site is matnate.ca for more audio content you can find back episodes by going to the slash podcasting you can also find them on Stitcher Radio, Blueberry, Spotify, Apple's podcast app, the iTunes store, podcast, anywhere you find a podcast it's there if it's not there let me know and i'll put it there uh, you can get subscribe you can get uh, alerts for free uh, to find out when new episodes drop feedback on raging bull or any of the other movies we talked about today can be left in the comment section of the site you can email ryan at matnate.ca twitter where I'm where i matinee underscore C A or Facebook.com slash DarkMatinee. Any final thoughts?
0: Spoilers. Book smart's awesome.
1: Yes, it is. It's <laughs> I, I love it so very much. I, I did not expect to love it near as much as I did, even as it was unfolding, but uh, I got I,
0: I accidentally went to a screening where they were there. Oh and I was like, why are you guys here? Can I please watch a movie? <laughs> Jeez. That is awesome. For Andrew, I'm Ryan. We'll see you at the Matinee.